Good day to you fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. And we come together as the body of Christ is because new things are about to happen. Um, and I am very confident that through God's word, we are going to be able to learn and come out of this place more focused and stronger and empower to be more like Christ. Operate in the mind of Christ, but not, while not losing touch to the reality that we have been handed the opportunity to live in this times that we're living. I interact with people every single day. Some people say, oh my God, these are difficult times to live in. I don't know what's going to happen. Some people they just inundate themselves with, with all kinds of news, digital news, paper news, audible news. And, and it, doesn't it doesn't take someone very, very, very much amount of time to, to discover that we're living in difficult times, complicated times. Times where some people are living on an edge. Sometimes it's difficult to interact with people outside of our own culture, our own cultural circle. Sometimes it's difficult to engage either because we're so used to and comfortable dealing with, with the familiarity of, of our friends, close friends, family members, extended family members. And we could miss on the opportunity that God is giving us to interact, engage with people who are not used to interacting with, with us on a daily basis. Today I've chosen a story that all of you know, uh, but that I think I want to approach it from a just slightly different lens. And that is a social, cultural, and religious lens. And then I'm, I'm going to read. I'm going to extract some of the, the verses in this story. And then I'm going to use it as a mirror effect so that we can say, look, look at ourselves and say, wow, I didn't realize that Jesus was dealing with that back then and how familiar it is that we're dealing with very similar situations today. So the title of today's teaching is Christ and Culture, Transforming Our Way of Life. Now, when I, mention, when I say Christ, I don't think there is a more impactful name in the history of humanity as the name Christ or Jesus Christ. What comes to my mind? What comes to your mind? What resonates? When I say Christ, do you think about a religious system? Do you think about a series of, of teachings? Do you think about someone who they told you he was a prophet? Or do you think... What do you think about? What resonates with you? I can kind of exemplify that, giving you my own uh, life experience. When I mention the name Christ, or I mention the name Jesus Christ, it resonates to me in a personal way. It resonates to me because as early as the age of seven years old, I remember my mom, my, my dad, and my grandparents going through the traditional route of trying to identify with this Savior. But because I was born with an illness, I was born with asthma, uh, I, I was not able to understand 
that this Jesus or this Christ who normally I would see hanging on the wall of a church whenever my, my parents would attend that church, I, I didn't relate to him, but I had the imagery of him being there on the wall. But then it wasn't until I was 10, 11 years old that that name, Jesus Christ, took on a different resonance in my life. And it was because he saved our family from being blasted away by a bomb that had been dropped across the street. It was the, the very first time during a civil war that I realized that there was this group of 15 people in our living room that were praying and were being led by this gentleman. His first name is Solomon, was Solomon. And he, he would have this home group and invited my mom if she wanted to be part of this prayer group. And I remember it was around this time of the day. It was around a little bit past noon when everyone was gathered. And I was playing in the midst of everyone praying. I was playing with my toys when we heard a big rumbling that took place. And we knew that something had impacted the ground across the street. And... Uh, it didn't take very long before all the men that were in that prayer circle, they came out and sure enough, they wanted to know what was going on. And a rocket had landed on the sidewalk across the street from our home that could have destroyed three and four homes, including the one where we were having the prayer circle. And everyone in that room just outbursted in prayer and in thanksgiving because I didn't know any better. I didn't know if whether I was in heaven or I was still on earth. All I knew is that our lives would have been obliterated in an instant. I was the first glance that I learned that by calling on the name of Jesus, that he responds to prayer. The second time was when we visited a church for the, as a family. My mom and my dad gave their life to Christ. And sure enough, because I was 10, 11 years old, at that time in Latin America, you have very little decision-making uh, power at home. You had to do what your parents told you to do or what they, what they show you to do. And sure enough, all of us, my sister, my brothers, and myself, we went up and we gave our life to Christ. And after that, I remember I said to this new name, new person I had just met, Jesus, I said, Jesus, if you are real, I don't want to have asthma anymore. I don't want uh, oxygen tanks to be in my nostrils so that I'm able to breathe because my lungs are shut. I want to be able to breathe free. I want to be able to laugh freely. I want to be able to play soccer and not get tired or gasp for air. I want to be able to laugh because I couldn't laugh. But most of all, I want to be able to have a Coca-Cola. And before I knew it, in the next round of doctor appointments... The doctor said to my mom, I don't know what happened to this kid. I don't know why you gave him, but he doesn't need to take medicine anymore. That was the second time when the name of Jesus Christ became so personal to me. Then the third time was when I was 11, 12 years old. And I, everybody, there was just a big wave of baptisms in the Holy Spirit. And everyone was being baptized. And I remember there was a... There was a a camp meeting under a huge tent in a major intersection. And there were services every single day. And on Sundays twice, one in the morning, one in the evening. But there were services every day, Monday through Sunday. 
beginning at 7.30, and people would come from buses, busloads from all over the place, and this evangelist, God will use him in a powerful way. And then on the side of the, of the tent, the open tent, the congregational tent, there was this, this tent that was enclosed, and it served as a prayer room. And people would go in that tent and start to pray. And I remember that I always wanted to kind of hang out with, uh, with all the, the, the young people, the youth group, even though I wasn't even, I, I wasn't even, I wasn't even 12. I, maybe I was about to turn 12. And I saw that they, they, were, they were praying and they had this awesome energy about prayer. And they wanted to go out and preach and interact and lay hands and heal people. And that was contagious. And I wanted to be part of that even though I was very young. I couldn't, I couldn't, I have very little independence. But I would seize every opportunity. I remember I said, Jesus, if you love me and you have a plan for me, I want to be baptized. I want to speak in that weird language that they're speaking. But I don't know how weird it is, but it must feel good. Because everyone looked happy afterwards. And I remember it was a Tuesday night. We went to the, the service, the outreach service that night. And we went into that tent. And I had, I had developed close relationship with some of the, the young people. And we went in. And we started to pray. And we were on our knees. I mean, there was no carpet. It was just the bare floor. And, and, and uh, we were praying for a while. It had been maybe like 35 minutes, 45 minutes. We usually would gather to pray uh, about an hour before the service would start. So imagine that. An 11-year-old with a whole bunch of other young people praying for an hour. That sounds strange nowadays, right? But I got news for you. That's, that's not long gone. It's all in the desire of the heart of the person. So I remember we went in and we started to pray. We started to pray and, I, and it was dark. It was pitch, pitch, uh, pitch uh, black. And I remember we were praying. And then all of a sudden I had my eyes closed. I just saw this hand. I saw the hand of a, per, of a being just opening up in this fashion. And then four outbursts of, of light just came out of that hand and it landed into every single, every single one of the four people that were there, including myself. And I remember I started speaking in a, that weird language and I could not control it. I wanted to speak Spanish, but I couldn't speak Spanish. And I started speaking and I started trembling and I started sweating and I started crying, but I, I was tired. Up until the moment when that happened, but then I just felt like a like a like a shot of energy in my life. And I remember I started speaking, and I didn't want to stop speaking in tongues. And the service started, we started, and, and then all of a sudden it just ceased. And we came out of that prayer tent. And when I came out, I kid you not, every person that has been baptized in the Holy Spirit will say something similar to this. I felt quite differently. And the way I felt is I felt like I was, I was weightless. I felt like as light as a feather. And I, I felt like as if I was walking on the clouds. And I felt as wide awake as when I woke up early in the morning. And I just had this happiness in me. And this desire to smile that wasn't fake. It was genuine. And that's when I knew at that moment, that night, that something, something's greater were about to happen in my life as if I continue my journey of getting to know Jesus Christ. So that's how Jesus resonates to me in a nutshell. I don't want to spend a lot of time in telling you my, how I identify. I'm asking you, 
How does Christ resonate in your life? You, I don't want you to say, you know what, I never had that quite of experience. My experience was different. Yes, but it was genuine. And it should resonate. God doesn't take a cookie cutter approach. He personalizes his relationship with every person. And I've chosen a story, the story of Jesus in John chapter 4 and his conversation with the Samaritan woman. To have a heart-to-heart conversation. I love heart-to-heart conversations. My kids know. Caleb is here. Lamaris is there. They know when I say, I need to have a heart-to-heart conversation. I, Caleb, we need to talk. I need to tell you something. Sometimes Caleb will tell you, Dad, it's not that, it's not that complicated. Or, Dad, why you make it sound so serious? It's not serious. It's, it's okay. And I say, no, it's not that it's serious. It's that it means so much to me that I want to give you all my attention. And I have to, and I have, to have a heart-to-heart conversation with him or with my daughter. When you have a heart-to-heart conversation with another person, it just means you're, you're being real. You, have, you put all the cards on the table. There are no pretenses. You can tell when someone is doing or saying something to try to impress the other person. That's not a heart-to-heart conversation. A heart-to-heart conversation begins with being vulnerable, being honest, and having an objective that's greater than the surrounding of the conversation. And Jesus was a, wanted to have a heart-to-heart conversation with this Samaritan woman. And I'm going to pick from, I'm going to pick some verses, a, a selection of these verses. You know the story. You can read it at home. It's about 30, 33 verses, but I'm not going to read all of them. But I, I picked a handful of the verses just to use them as the base of the teaching today. So in verse 3, it says, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sikar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The first thing that comes to mind is, and and I want to talk about the the heart-to-heart conversation and how this is so necessary today. Especially because of the hypersensitivity surrounding us as a society, as a country, as a state, as a church. Whether you're in your job, you're in the grocery store, you are exposed to this hypersensitivity surrounding different ethnic groups. Whether you are white or black or brown. And if these words offend you, it's not because they're bad words. It's because in the society you and I find ourselves in, in the, in the sensitivity around society, have sensitized these words to have a negative connotation, but it's not because they, they're bad words. 
is because we become so sensitive to the social cultural impact these words have so that now everyone is up in arms. I met someone about a couple of weeks ago. The person was from, I think it was Kenya or Uganda. Okay, and, and it was a person of African descent. Very dark uh, uh, skin tone. And her name was first name and her na last name was White. So I'm just going to call her Jane White. And when I met the person, and I, I was extending customer service to this person, I, the, the training, but real connection with another person acknowledges, you need to acknowledge who the person is, make eye contact, acknowledge them, and also acknowledge their first and last name. Now, knowing who I am and those of you that know me, I am comfortable who I am and I'm comfortable in interacting with numerous or, or, or countless uh, cultural backgrounds. I don't see the person through this, the color of their skin or the language they speak. But I knew right away, because I like to keep myself very informed, that the, uh, the last name would create a, not a stir, but really called the attention of those around me. But I didn't hesitate. And if there's one thing that I recognize that God has given me is boldness. Boldness not to be offensive, but boldness to be able to go out on a limb for Jesus Christ. I, I don't have any fear to do that. And I remember when the person was in front of me, I say, and I'm, I, I changed her last name to just guard her, her personal identity. I say, hello, Miss Jane White, how are you? And I, there was no hesitation in, from my end to acknowledge who she is, that's, that's her first and last name. Everyone around me took notice because I was addressing someone from an African descent, but also with a last name White. Now, I'm being intentional about mentioning these words like black, brown, white, and what have you, because I want to desensitize you from the hypersensitivity so that you give, you give preeminence to God's word and not what culture tells you and tells me. The very first step to communication is to be intentional. If you're not intentional about communicating with someone, then your words are going to come in through one ear and go out the next. Or you're going to go so, uh, and say something and everything you say is just going to fly by people. But if you really want to have engaging conversation and meaningful conversations with another person, then you make eye contact, you read the person. You, read, you hear the words they're saying audibly, but you also look, make eye contact. You read the gestures, the hand gestures. You're going to remember not so much what I say in this preaching, but the energy and, and the passion and what God's word is bringing through my imperfect being. You're going to remember God's word. I want you to remember God's story, not Oscar's story, not Oscar's personal narrative. I want you to remember Jesus' narrative. So here's Jesus, and he's intentional. Jesus could have taken a different route to go to Judea. As a matter of fact, he could have taken, and he should have taken, if he was an average Jew, he should have taken and could have taken the road that most Jews would take to avoid having contact with a Samaritan. It's kind of taking the easy way out. Not everything that is really convenient not everything that is convenient means that is the right way to do it. 
Some of us choose the most convenient way, the easier way. I don't want to go through a lot of problems. I don't want to have any trouble. I don't want any headaches. So what is that, what is that saying? I want to take the easy way out. I don't want to turn left. I don't want to turn right. Some people get confused with giving them directions because you have to make a left here, go two, more, two miles, and then make a right, then make your first left. It will be the house around the corner and the cul-de-sac. And people get, Some people get confused. Don't like details. Just give it to me straight. I, I, I don't want to. That gives me a headache. I'm going to have someone else drive. Jesus could have taken the convenient route. Jesus could have taken the fastest route, but Jesus took the route because he was being intentional about having a conversation with another person. And I want to give you some of the background here. What, what did it mean for to have a hard conversation between a Jew and a Samaritan? Well, who was a Jew back then? Uh, according to, to some of the research that has been written and that, that I've read in preparation for this teaching, a Jew was a closed community. They didn't interact with a lot of non-Jews. Why? Because they saw themselves as chosen by God. They were instructed not to mingle with the pagan uh, peoples and ethnicities according to the laws that were, hand, that were given to them. They were a closed community. They interacted with themselves. They married among themselves. They practiced the religious system among themselves. They didn't share it with anybody else. And any, any, any foreigner that wanted to live with them, there was space for those foreigners, but they needed to practice and at least adapt uh, religious practices among the, the Jewish communities. But normally, they were a closed community. In the case of their relationship with the Samaritans, they practiced social distancing. There was no social interaction between the Jews and the Samaritans. They were hyper-religious in the way they, they dressed, the way they clothed themselves, the religious practices. And they were a community that were being ruled under an iron hand ruling, an iron fist. And if anyone, any one of the ancient history empires is known by iron, is the Roman Empire. That's what Jesus brought to the table from a social, religious background. What about the Samaritan woman? The Samaritan woman represented an interracial com racial community. The Samaritans weren't fully Jew. They had non-Jews. They had Assyrian in them. They had Babylonian in them. They had anything and everything that could have happened outside of a Jewish community. They were interracial community. They were seen and they took upon themselves as the identity of being less than. Fully chosen by God. They had access to Jacob's well. They had a history of going to the well because Jacob passed it to his sons and their sons passed it to the future generations. And among them, the ones that dwelled in Samaria were these foreigners that the Assyrians brought to take the place of the Jews when the Jews were taken captive in the land of Israel was uh, semi-destroyed and inherited, inherited, uh, inhabited, I'm sorry, by foreigners. That's who these Samaritans were. In 2 Kings chapter 17, I want to give you an idea. In 2 Kings chapter 17, the Bible tells us who these Samaritans were. 
And I want to give you a glimpse. Chapter 17, verse 24 says, The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kuthad, Ava, Hamath, and I'm, I'm going to skip some of the names that are super, super difficult to pronounce. He brought them into the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and live in its town. But watch what happened when they first lived there. What happens when you take people from another culture and you bring them into a different culture, religious, social, uh, social environment, people carry their culture with, with, with them. I bring cultural elements that I carry to, to this day that I didn't, I didn't leave back in Nicaragua. I brought them with me. You brought some of the cultural elements, whether you come from the Caribbean or Africa or Asia or anywhere else in the world. There are certain elements that you carry with you that are representative of your, of your home culture. So guess what? When they brought these foreigners to inhabit the land of the Israelites, they brought their own culture. And what did they start to do? They started to worship pagan gods. And it was brought up to the king a report that said they don't know what the God of the Israelites demand. So they're doing, they're going about doing what they think is right and worshiping their own God. And guess what? Lions are going around eating people. And they saw that as a, a part of a judgment. So they didn't want lions to continue to eat people. And what did they do? They sent the messenger to the king so that the king would send a, Jew, a Jewish priest or a priest that was an Israelite. To go back to Samaria and teach how the true living God, what he expected of his people living in, in the land that God had promised to the Israelites. And that's what they did. They taught the Samaritans how to worship the true God. And that passed hundreds of centuries, several centuries, several centuries. Fast forward to the point of the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. That's how I know the Samaritan woman was not ignorant about, about God. Because there are more than a thousand years of teachings from the Old Testament that were teaching generation after generation. Even though her bloodline was not fully Jew, even though she was not part of the, the a, hundred, a quarter of a million people that left Egypt, she had faith in her heart. She was hungry for the truth. She was hungry for God. Even though society and her next door neighbors told her, you are not worth it because you're not purely a bloodline Jew. That's how I know in, in the verses that we've read that there were no, two things. There was intentionality in Jesus. And two, there was a, heart, a, hung, a hungry heart in that Samaritan woman to meet the truth. And Jesus, God, as the incarnate God, as God made men, God had had enough of the polarization of, among society. God had had enough of several centuries, as a, fact, as a matter of fact, as close to a millennia of, of animosity and separation and social distancing between the Jews and the Samaritan. God had had enough and Jesus took the difficult route. Jesus took the difficult conversation that not the average Jew was willing to have. And he stopped at the well and he asked for a glass of water. But the conversation was never about the glass of water. The glass of water was the introduction, was the tool to be able to bring about change between two cultures. And Jesus said, can you give me a glass of water? And the woman responded, how dare you, a Jew, ask me for, to draw water? Why would you ask me that? 
We're not supposed to talk to each other. We're not supposed to look at each other. As a, as a person, as an American citizen that I, in the country that I lived for the past 39 years, I speak English. My English is not perfect, but I speak it. I had to learn it, but it was not my native, native language. My native language is Spanish. Now I speak two languages. And all throughout my teenage years and growing up in New York City, whenever I was spoke Spanish, I just sensed the vibe of being in an English, an English environment, an English-only environment, that if I spoke Spanish, it got to the point where I would feel bad because people felt that I was being disrespectful, that I was there speaking my native language. Maybe your native language is not Spanish. Maybe it's another language. Maybe it's French. Maybe it's Italian. Maybe it's Welsh. Maybe it's any other language from any other continent. But you, you would walk into spaces. And let me show you a difference. Let me show you what I mean. Here in America, North America, especially with how sensitive, how sensitive society is right now among the different ethnic groups that make this, this great country so diverse, you can walk into a place and you can, depending on where you are, you can have someone really burst out to you. This is America. You're not supposed to speak Spanish. You're supposed to speak English. Oh, this is America. You're supposed to speak English, not speak Hungarian, or not speak uh, uh, Russian, or not speak uh, Romanian, or any other type of language in the world. But I went to Spain about three, a little bit over three years ago. And while in Spain, my son was in high school that year. And Caleb, two, three years, three years of French. Three years of French. And I remember Caleb was in high school when, when I told him I, I had to go to Spain for ministry. And, and I told him that I would be stopping in Paris. So I asked Caleb, and he was very excited to teach me some of the stuff that he was learning in French. And I would ask him that because he knows who I am. I ask questions. Sometimes he gets bored because I ask a lot of questions, but I, I ask questions. That's how I'm wired. Because sometimes the deepest questions lead you to the greatest answers. So Caleb would, would teach me and say, Dad, this is how you say, because I would say, Caleb, how do you say, hey, hello, how are you? Uh, uh, do you speak uh, French? Uh, do you speak English? Um, and he'd show me how to do that. And I would practice it in my head. And I would practice it in my head leading up. And I was a little bit nervous because I knew that if I wanted to find a restroom in the, in the, uh, at the airport, I could look at the signs, but I can also ask the question. But I wanted to kind of show off a little bit that I was learning conversational French and my son was teaching me. So I felt confident that I could do that. And sure enough, I was traveling. And I wanted to impress the person I was traveling with. But no, I, I just wanted to put to practice what my son was teaching me. But that's been me. That's me. I like to explore different cultures. If you don't know me and you don't know my first and last name, you would think I'm from India. And a lot of people think that. I've had a lot of people approach me and speak, me, speak to me in their, in their native language. And I just sit there feeling so sorry because I don't know how to tell them. I don't know, I don't know what you're saying. But I smile and I connect emotionally. And I wait for the right time to say, uh, let me point you in the right direction. But in Europe, 
the average Euro European person speaks at least two or three languages. They speak English, they can speak Spanish, they can speak French or, or Italian. They can speak, uh, they're more from the eastern part of, of, uh, of Europe. They speak some of the, uh, the other languages, the, like the Hungarian and so Russian and what have you. And as a society, I learned the difference between the European community and how they, they see us enriching and as welcoming the diversity of languages when a person speaks more than one or two languages. But here in America, you speak a different language when you're in an English circle, it's perceived as offensive. It's perceived as disrespectful. It's perceived as non-American. And what does that do? The impact of that is it, it stops diversity from being, from flourishing from a linguistic perspective. Jesus, now I'm going to cross-reference the Jesus experience. Jesus went out of his religious cultural setting to engage with someone that he wasn't even supposed to look at and engage in conversation so he was intentional. Why? Because if you want to transform, if I want to transform my environment and expose Jesus Christ to my environment, I need to be, number one, I need to be intentional. I need to be intentional. I don't, I don't, we can't let the circumstances fly by and take them as coincidence. We must be intentional. If God is giving you an opportunity to meet someone and engage in relationship with someone, whether at work, at school, in your neighborhood, in your extended family, it's because God has a purpose for that person. It's not about you. It's not about what you think you want to show. It's about what God is doing in your life and how that needs to come across as being more Christ-like, more than the person, the self-like. And Jesus seized the opportunity. Jesus was intentional about closing the gap of polar, 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 two polarizing groups for close to a millennia. So when I walk in the streets, when I interact with people, and my, my kids are here and they can tell you, I like, to, I like to learn more about other people's culture. I know people that are of Chinese descent. And if they're of Chinese descent, I say, how do, even when I order Chinese food from the Chinese restaurant, I don't say thank you in English anymore. And my son and my daughter, sometimes they, they laugh because, Dad, you're saying it wrong. Please make sure you say it right. But in my head, I'm saying it right. But the person that's receiving it knows that I want to connect with them. And I say thank you. I say she she in Mandarin. Oh, and, the, and, and a person responds, oh, she, she. And, and I feel good because I said one word. I have, I know conversational Mandarin. I try to read Italian. I try to, I, I try to do different things because you never know. You never know when God is going to give you an opportunity. And guess what? God is not American. Only. God covers all the mosaic of all cultures, backgrounds, and creeds, and ethnicities. And guess what? God speaks all the languages in the world. And if I am a tool, and I want to be a vessel for his glory, I need to take on the tools. Even if I have an accent, I need to take on the tools. But the social norm, what society is telling, oh, 
that's difficult. No, I'm not going to say that. I'm an introvert, but I'm an extrovert. No, but I'm an introvert in, an introvert in these settings, and I, I could be an extrovert in these settings. Don't put yourself in that position. Don't add to yourselves adjectives that God doesn't want you to put upon yourself. We, as an American society, we're full of adjectives. We're full of biases. We're full of things that polarize us and, and parses out all these different subgroupings and identifiers that have nothing to do with God. If your culture and my culture does not point to Christ, it's as mundane and as worldly as anything else that separates you from God. So the invitation is, let our culture point to Christ so that culture can transform this world. Jesus came to this woman. She came to her place of drawing water. He didn't wait until she showed up in the synagogue. He came out. And he said, give me water, I'm thirsty. What do I see there? I see God's humanity, the incarnation element of Jesus Christ. He didn't come in the spirit. He didn't come flying with almighty powers. He came as a human being to suffer and experience what you and I are experiencing. So many labels back then on the Samaritans. So many social religious labels, labels on the Jews. And guess what? I know we're going to agree on this. There's so many labels on us right now. I was sharing at the 9 o'clock service. And guess what? I'm being intentional about saying certain words. But there's a purpose behind it. I believe through the study of uh, in preparation of today's teaching that we must be in a position of acknowledgement and honoring of everything that a person represents. But if I speak, if I'm having a conversation with a person of African descent, I don't need to point out you, Af you're an African-American. I don't have to point out the obvious. If you're Caucasian white, I don't have to point out and say, you're white. It's obvious. If I'm brown and I'm of Latino, they say, you don't need to remind me. I know who I am. You, you weren't there when my mom gave, me, gave birth to me. I know who I am. I'm perfectly happy, 110% happy with who I am, the color of my skin, because there's no more and no less than anybody else's. Because my identity is not in my last name. My identity is not in my nationality. My number one identity is that I am a, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. I've been forgiven of my sins. And my, and my present and my future is secure in Christ. If there's one label I want to hold on to, it's as a Christian. I will lay my life for Christ holding on to that label because it's the only thing that I can take away with me when I meet my maker. Everything else stays here. Ask the church. And if you're here visiting us or you watch online, we cannot fall into the trap of the social norm, taking on these biases, allowing our value system to fluctuate and change from one to another because of the different social cultural currents and how everything is being labeled. My label, my brand is this one. Our brand is right here. My last name is not Nike, Adidas. 
I don't need to brand anything. Even though we use such brands. But I'm trying to expose these elements so that you and I can allow ourselves be transformed. Our concept, what is, let me, let me just, I should have said this, this in the beginning and I didn't, I apologize for that. But what is culture? How do you define culture? Culture in its most fundamental way is the tilling of the land, preparing it to be cultivated. That's what culture is. Agriculture. Agri. Culture, it's a compounded word that means you, you work in the ground, you're extracting all the dead elements, you're tilling it so that you can put a seed in it and allow the process to take place so that you can reach your objective of a harvest. So culture means the human interaction with the, with the creative world that no human being, scientific genius, you name it, no human person can create a world. Only God can create world and worlds. Culture is the human interaction of a human being with the God-created world. In Genesis, God gave a mandate to Adam and Eve to create culture. What did he say? Place you in a garden. Be fruitful. And rule over everything. Over the animals in the sea, the, the birds in the air, the land, rule over everything. Go and be fruitful. In other words, go and interact with what I've created and expect a fruit to come out of that. So when we say, how does that translate, how does culture translate to the Christian community, meaning you and I? It means that everything you have with you that is Tangible, meaning that you can touch it. Or intangible, meaning that you can't see, but you know it's there. Anything that you have, anything that you, that you have in knowledge, in material or immaterial, you interact with it and you are impacting your environment. Let me give you an example. If you are a good employee, everybody or your supervisor and everybody around you that works with you knows that you are a good employee. Yes or no? If you're a slacker, everybody knows you're a slacker. And I got, and you know what? And I'm going to point a finger to me. If I'm a slacker, it doesn't matter if I say, oh, I'm a born-again Christian. I, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. My actions or my culture contradicts what I'm saying with my mouth. So it's better for me to be an exemplary employee and allow my works to speak of the one that is with me. And my, and my aptitude and my attitude be more Christ-like than myself, fill myself with Bible verses that I'm not really walking with them. So this, in, this community impact, this hypersensitivity of specific words that, that may be offensive to certain people, we need to make sure that we as a church don't, don't place our value system. I, I got it. I got it. We all like to be comfortable with what we wear. You put clothes that make you look good, that you feel comfortable. You put shoes that you can walk on them miles if you have to, even though you never you drive from here to the corner. Oh, I like these shoes because I can walk on them all day. Yeah, but you're sitting at your desk eight hours of the day, and the other three hours of your commute, back and forth, you're driving. Don't give me that. Don't tell me that. You bought them because 
they were appealing to your eye when you saw them at the store. You liked the name brand and you thought you got a deal. That's why you got them. But some people place, place their identity on the brands that they wear or the brands that they carry or the values that they allow themselves to be influenced by. I'm going to go a step further into the ancestry heritage they bring with them, even though a big portion of every ancestry on the face of the earth have added no good value to who we are today. And I'm going to tell you right now, the best value that you have is in nothing that has, that's of human form or human giving. The best value that you have going for you, his name is Jesus, the Son of God. And that's not being fanatic, but if, that is being, if that's being fanatic, I'd rather be that. Because it's the only thing I can take to the grave. And it's the only thing that's going to be waiting for me on the other side. Initiative. Jesus was intentional and he took the initiative. Why? Because initiative is the gateway to new and transforming conversation. If you wait on someone else to approach you. And to have a conversation with you, you're missing half of the, the experience. I'd rather take the initiative. Hey, how you doing? How are you? It's good to see you. Even if I don't remember the first name. Or even if I've called them by the wrong first name. It happened to me this past Saturday. I called someone the wrong first name. But they know that I knew them. I said, I'm sorry, man. It's early. I haven't had my cup of joe. I haven't had my bustelo, so I, I, I can't function right now. A heart-to-heart -heart conversation, remember what I said in the beginning, you don't have to impress a person. You know when someone's being honest. You know when a person is being vulnerable. And that's what God's looking for. The only way that we can mend fences and be, be interracial and be, uh, be able to navigate diversity. Diversity is not all these ethnicities in one room and saying hallelujah at the same time. That's not diversity. Diversity is being able to navigate just like Jesus did. Come out of his comfort zone and interact with the most difficult uh, group of society right next door. And I got news for you. It's uncomfortable in the beginning. Why? Because you're coming out of your comfort zone. You're coming away and outside of what you like, what you're used to. But guess what? If I didn't venture on asking myself, how do you say this in French? I wouldn't be able to say that in French. Not even today. I wouldn't be able to say the things that I know how to say in other, in other languages that to many people may sound crazy. I know how to do accent impressions. My son does an amazing accent impression. I'm, I thank God he's following after his dad's footsteps. But I can do certain impressions, cultural impressions, and I like that. I interact with the person. It's not me. It's not me trying to make fun of another culture. No, I, I've been to those places. That's why I dare to do that. Because I've, I've stepped on the land of the culture that I am trying to, I'm trying to uh, relate with. And I feel comfortable. I'm not afraid of tasting their food. I don't say, oh, that's not my taste. Oh, it's an acquired taste. No, I go out there because if Jesus went out there, I need to be a follower of Jesus and say the same thing. And do the same thing. I think you want me to wrap this up, so I'm going to do that. Verse 10. Reveals the greater purpose of the encounter between Jesus and the conversation. Verse 10. And it says that. 
basically Jesus is saying to the, to the woman, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who is, who and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, unless you engage and unless you and I engage, engage in conversation with another person, God may not reveal to you the true condition of that person's life or even the true condition of where you're at unless you engage in conversation. But let me put it in a, simple, in a different way. If you don't practice prayer, if you don't pray, if I don't pray, I will never discover what God wants to say to me. I will never allow God to mold my character and who I am as a person if I don't pray. I read God's word and I delight in reading God's word. But reading God's word needs to be accompanied with prayer. And there are certain things that cannot be understood unless the spirit of God speaks to our spirit and reveals to us what the word of God says. And there have been many numerous times that I never, I didn't remember the Bible says something specific to a specific situation until I went in prayer and the Holy Spirit was able to reveal that to me. John chapter 16 speaks about that. That the Holy Spirit reveals to us and convicts us and guides us. Verse 11 of this story, when Jesus said, the woman said, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? You know, this Samaritan woman was so used to interacting at one dimension of human life that she was missing the point entirely. And I don't blame her because the average person is the same way. We want God to come down and do things in the dimension that we are so used to doing as opposed to us elevating ourselves and coming out of our own dimension and meeting God where real things happen through prayer and through being a student of God's uh, word. The human, rea human, human reality is a limited perspective. It references human history, tradition, and cultural norm. Everything the Samaritan woman threw at Jesus pointed back in history. Pointed back to Jacob. Pointed back to the sons of Jacob. Pointed back to how many, how many generations had come to the well. But Jesus was telling her, I have a new well. And I have a new water that is way beyond. There's no, it's apples and oranges. And if we're not careful, we miss the point ourselves as well. If we're not used to engaging in deep conversations through prayer with Jesus. But Jesus exposed a, 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 new, a new reality that is God's reality. God is not bound by our, by our time-oriented demands or expectations. It should be the other way around. We must be still and patiently wait on God. Because his timing is better than my timing. Social distancing and social religious walls are broken. When in, ver in verse 15, uh, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. We must get every interaction among ourselves, among our extended families, among our communities. We must get them to the point where they say, I want to hear more. I want to hear more. I don't want to have a conversation with a non-believer 
and them know that I'm Christian and be turned off by the fact that they've interacted with me. And, and if I throw the Christian factor into it, they're going to be more disappointed. They're going to say, they're going to walk away. Is that what being a Christian is all about? No, I want people to be engaged and be willing to want to come back for more. But that only happens if we take initiative and we have heart-to-heart -heart conversation without any pretenses. When you engage in conversation and when we engage in a different culture, even if it's different from ours, life circumstances are going to be exposed. God will give you in the measure that you and I are willing to walk in obedience in being Christ-like. It's not us wanting to go out and forcing people to hear us preach. or No, it's not about that. Our own life is a narrative enough of how wonderful God is. And if we allow that to be exposed naturally, in a natural way, people are going to be engaged. I can't go to an unbeliever and use all this religious lingo and knowledge and everything that I can throw at them. They're going to be turned off. I'm going to lose them. But if I keep it low, if I keep it low key and I use terminology that is like a low-hanging fruit, that they can, they can feel that they can reach it. That is reachable. That they can touch it. If I, if I throw experiences that are relatable. That they can relate to. That they've gone through. Then I got their attention. And if I can keep their attention. Then I can have access to their heart. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus immediately had access to this woman's heart. <clears throat> Number one. He was the son of God. But two. Because he allowed the conversation to take a transformative, and he waited for the right time. <coughs> he waited for the right time. He asked for a glass of water. She was marbled by that because of all the, the social cultural walls that separated both groups. But then Jesus said, but I got something that is greater than what I'm asking you for. Then she said, I want some of that. And she said, well, but, but we've been coming here. Do you have a greater water than what our ancestors have given us? Through generations? And Jesus said, yeah, well, yeah, I do. But the, common, the time has come when God is looking for genuine people that want to give their hearts to him. And she, then she goes in and, and then she becomes, she exposes herself. And she says, but after exposing herself, she says to him, I know, I can see that you are a prophet. You don't have to, I don't have to come to people's, interactions with titles and knowledge and trying to impress people will know what, what you have and if what you have is real or not you can't fake a real encounter with Jesus I can't I can't create these stories that I share with you they're genuine and they're real when people hear those stories they're impacted because they can see the the rawness and and the the, re, the realness of, of what's happening but in conclusion Jesus Interacted with her so that her life will be changed. And he said, you know what, woman? You've had five husbands. The one you have now is not even yours. But I still can give you the water that you thirst. Immediately. She became so vulnerable that she became that woman that reached back to her entire society with a transforming message. Because she had to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with Jesus. 
religious traditions and practices will not necessarily be useful tools in reaching and closing the social gaps, especially in the times that we're living. Like I said before, your identity and your value base, my identity and my value base is anchoring Christ. That's, that's the primary identity that we have. It's not the town where I was born. It's not the neighborhood I, can, I come from. The invitation today is to take an internal assessment of our value base and what biases us and allow us to ask ourselves, are those things pointing me to Christ? Because if they're not, I shouldn't carry them any anymore. I shouldn't practice them anymore. I shouldn't be afraid or apprehensive about, about engaging of people of different uh, ethnicities. I should welcome that because Jesus welcomed that. I'm no less and no more than the other human person that says, sits to me on the bus or, or, in, or at the office. If I see brokenness in another person, I must be reminded that I was once broken and it wasn't too long ago. I must be able to embrace. I must be able to forgive. I must be able to look at God's word and say, God, what, what, what is it that in my life that can relate to what my friends or my work co-workers or everyone I interact with are going through? And allow God to guide you through that process. And I have a word of, of, of caution and not to overexpose yourself or to over-engage in conversations, opinions, and voices that are just fueling the fire, the social, political, and social, religious fire that's happening in this country. If there's one thing we should be doing and saying as, a, as people of faith, is inviting people to pray. It's prayer. Because God hears those and answers to those who pray and seek him. And our number one role is to believe in him, to love the unbeliever and put ourselves in their shoes because one time, not too long ago, we were in the same very, very similar shoes. People give me opinions of all kinds. And I am, I'm always the last one. As hard as that is to believe, I try to be the last one to say something because I want to hit a home run. When I say something, I want to hit a home run. Not because of what I know, but because of what I want to say, I want to point him to Christ. I want to hit a, that three-pointer, I want to hit it right before the buzzer. I want to hit it, and I want to hit that three-pointer by pointing them to Christ. And, and speaking truth when everyone is saying so many things, but there's very little substance. So right where you are, I'm going to ask you to please stand with me. In this time where we continue to protect ourselves and protect others with regards to the times we're living in, being sensitive to someone's needs also means being sensitive to the vulnerable community, the elderly, the ill, and being able to say, God, I know you can heal them, but if you don't, we wonder eternity to be secure in you. 
wherever you go, I mean, the past three, four months have been difficult times. We don't know what the end of the year is going to look like. And some people, if they are hearing the wrong voices or looking at the reading the wrong things, may come up with different conclusions and their own opinions of how things are going to end. But I got, I have to remind you of the following. The story's been written. We know how the story's going to end. At the end of the day, God wins. God wins. And everyone in his team gets to wear that jersey and do a victory lap. That's how it, that's how it ends. I can't, I can't get myself emotional and involved in the back and forth of differences of opinion. I understand people come from different walks of life. But to understand what someone else is going through will not be possible unless I try to imagine myself in their shoes. If I try to offer solutions from my own perspective without putting myself in their shoes or imagine what they're really going through or what they've been going through, then I'm not being Christ-like because Jesus put himself in the Samaritan woman's shoes. He met her in her own culture, in her own environment because if it was up to the Jew culture, they would have never crossed paths. Right there where you are, let's close our eyes and pray. Father, we thank you because your, war, your word doesn't come back void. But it's sent with an intended purpose so that it can bring back fruit in a multi-form. Father, we have taken your word. We have heard your word. We have camped around your word. We've invited your spirit to be with us. And we want to thank you because your word brings clarity, understanding, purpose, objective. Father, and I pray for your people, these women and men that are here today and those that are watching through life, uh, Facebook Live and any other social media platform. Father, I pray that one of the takeaways is that we, reass we reassess our value base, our value system, and be able to point them to you. And discard and do away with anything and everything that might be cultural, may have a heritage element, but it adds no value to who we are as your children. Allow us, Father, to interact with people with heart-to-heart -heart conversations in a genuine way, with humility, with love, with compassion, but also, Father, with wisdom and understanding with a sense of excitement because your name excites me. Your name gives me energy. Your name makes, makes my heart tick, makes my heart jump. Father, I pray that your spirit infuses a level of excitement about life and about living your life, living who you are in us to dimensions never experienced before. I thank you for today and may your blessing be with us today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Father, I pray this and may the hearts of every person be transformed. May understanding be transformed and thank you for this time of teaching in Jesus' name. Amen.
I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel not only to the lehigh valley but around the world we want to do our part in reaching the people that god has entrusted to us with the gospel of jesus christ you can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry god bless you have an amazing day remember you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.